If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. I'm Shelley Porges, co-founder of the Billion Dollar Fund for Women. We are a global consortium of venture funds that have pledged more to invest into women-founded companies through 2020 to really change the paradigm for women in venture. Do what you're passionate about, do what you love, do what you think can make a difference. Sometimes you'll fail, but a lot of times you'll win. And if you don't do it, you'll never win. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Shelley Porges is co-founder of the Billion Dollar Fund for Women, a serial entrepreneur and an avid investor in women-run companies. She gives advice on how women can start their own business and see their own ventures thrive. So Shelley, your father died when you were at a young age. Mm-hmm. And so would you tell us how that affected you? Yeah, when my dad passed away when I was 21 and in grad school, um, I discovered that my mother, who was this very worldly, sophisticated, well-educated woman, um, was in no way prepared financially to handle that transition. And he didn't die that suddenly. He had been ill for a while, but my mother literally knew nothing about her finances. She did not know even how much money she had in the checking account, not to speak of any other aspect of their holdings, insurance, or any other thing one would hope to know in such a situation. Uh, And in such, obviously, first and foremost, an emotional situation, but second of all, of course, it's a very practical and pragmatic situation. And that um, made such a big impression on me and, frankly, my younger sister, that the two of us, watching our mother struggle at that point so much, um, I think it just burned um, uh, a thought in our heads that this would never happen to us, that we wanted, we, my sister and I, my younger sister and I, uh, you know, individually and together wanted to make sure that we were always prepared, that we would be able to fend for ourselves, that we would understand what our financial picture was. And therefore, no surprise, I went into financial services and had an array of experiences uh, that I will talk about. But uh, And my sister is now a hedge fund lawyer um, and very well versed in all things financial. And the two of us, you know, took that sad but important lesson forward with us. How come women... So often you hear stories of them saying, not me, don't pick me, I'm not the right person. Well, you know, there's now a lot of research. There wasn't then. This is decades ago. But there is a lot of research now where we understand that women, for the most part, hold ourselves to such high standards, almost almost uh, impossible standards, I would say, that if we don't meet at least 90% of the requirements of the job, we don't put ourselves forward and, in fact, don't think of ourselves necessarily as qualified. Whereas a man will look at it and say, okay, I've got four or five out of ten. That's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. I'm going to jump in and I'll figure the rest out. So I think that this mindset of it's, – it's a combination of confidence and also risk awareness. You know, women are – you know, we, we're in, historically we've been deemed to be risk averse. I don't actually think that's true. I think the reality – and we see this in investing a lot – is that women are more risk aware. Women, women will think about contingencies and, and possibilities that a man wouldn't even think about and therefore obviously wouldn't prepare for, whereas we're trying to prepare for every eventuality because we've been raised to be perfect. We've been raised to be good students. We've been raised to get that 100 on the test. You know, we've been 
race to be, you know, a, a part of the top tier of, uh, you know, the student clubs in our schools and so forth. So I think that we need to give ourselves a break. I think we need to recognize that um, not only don't we need to be perfect, nor will we ever be perfect, nobody is, that we have so much to offer and focus on our strengths and, and propel ourselves forward based on our strengths. Uh, and not focus as much as we do uh, so often on our weaknesses. And and I do see women doing that more and more. And that is, I'm sure, why we're advancing more and more. You were a very successful entrepreneur before you became a venture capitalist. What's the key to creating a business that other companies want to buy? Oh, that's a really good question. Well, the key to creating a successful business of any kind, whether you get bought or not, is first and foremost uh, identifying an opportunity or problem uh, that you know how to solve in a differentiated way, but a problem that's a big problem. And I would say that half the businesses, both male-founded and female-founded, often start with things that um, are comfortable for them because it comes out of their background, but not necessarily solving big problems. So unless you're solving a big problem that someone else is prepared to pay for, a lot of someone else's are prepared to pay for, you don't really have a business. You may have a cool idea. It may be the basis for some other big solution, but you must be solving a big problem in in a way that's differentiated and sustainable in order, I think, to really eventually build a business that um, becomes of interest to uh, a company that's willing to buy it. What's your advice for founders who are trying to build their business but also raise their family? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, I hit it up, uh, among other things, I did my private life, and I was raising. I was a single mom for over seven years uh, while I had three of my six companies, now seventh company of the Billy Dollar Fund. But um, And uh, the key lesson is you can have it all. You just can't do it all. And as women, again, this is part of our perfection model that, you know, we're, we're so good at so many things. We are multitaskers. And we pride ourselves on that. And that's fine. And that's a good thing. And, and it's part of our secret sauce. But we take it to uh, an untenable level where it's unsustainable. And so we have to recognize where we have to set boundaries and recognize that we can't have it all. We just can't do it all. It takes a village. Find your support networks, and whether that ranges from you know everything to do with childcare or elder care or whatever other you know role you're playing in your family to support in your you know in your professional life and every other way. And of course, and uh, I give Sheryl Sandberg credit in her book Lean In, talking about probably the single most important decision you any person makes in their lives, not to speak of any woman, is your choice for a partner and how supportive that partner is. And I think it's uh, almost impossible if you don't have a highly supportive partner who uh, recognizes your ambitions as much as their ambitions, whether that partner's male, female, or other, uh, you know, you need to, you know, that, that's going to affect your life probably in more ways than you can imagine. Would you simply explain what a venture capitalist does? Sure. So um, a venture capitalist really plays a number of roles in our ecosystem, but most the most important uh, high-level thing, before we get into the nitty-gritty, a venture capital supports innovation in the end. A venture capitalist is somebody who, um, you know, in whatever sector they may be operating or multi-sectors that they may operate in, identifies the opportunity where change is happening and where uh, facilitating that change and funding that change can not only be financially productive, but most importantly, um, is going to drive innovation and is going to drive and meet big needs that we have. So whether that's, you know, uh, 
in the e-commerce space where, you know, we just look at things that we like to have, even if they're not things that are essential to have for our well-being, to things that really very much affect our well-being, whether it's in the medical space or any other, you know, so many other technology spaces or cybersecurity right now, we're discovering how important that is to our lives as we share and share more information. Uh, but, uh, you know, now we're, I think, all waking up to the ne- our needs for privacy and, and for uh, uh, integrity, I guess I'd say. In, in our information systems. So what's one mistake entrepreneurs make when they're asking for VC funding, for venture capital funding? Um, I think the first most important thing is know who you're pitching to, know who you're reaching out to, and make sure that you're aligned and make sure that uh, the funder that you're looking, you know, the venture capitalist, the VC that you're reaching out to is not only aligned with you from a sectoral point of view, but also is someone who will deliver what we call smart money, which is it's got to be more than the money. I mean, there's a lot of capital out there. It's not easy to get, no no question. But you really want to have someone who will also introduce you to their networks, who will support you, who will help you identify key strategic issues in your business because they've done it before. Um, you know, you need to think about a venture capitalist also as a business advisor. And what can you know? How else can they help you grow your company? And so many successful entrepreneurs will tell you, the fact that they got the capital was very critical, but it was the least important thing in what that that company, that VC firm or individual did for them in growing their company. And and I would uh, say that for, for myself that you know the the. The, to the degree that you know, we took in venture capital, to the degree that those individuals really became our advisors and helped us connect to networks of other investors and or others who could really help us advance and grow our business was as important as the money itself. Coming up, Shelley Porges offers advice on how to stand out in a competitive business environment. If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal. How come there are still so few female VCs? That's a really good question. Well, I think um, the VC industry in and of itself has grown in a way as an entrepreneurial network. And as with all entrepreneurial networks, it's very much based on who you know and what you know. So it came out of, you know, the very earliest VCs, Arthur Rock and, and company, you know, were, you know, guys who came out of technology and they made a lot of money and they had money to invest. And what they knew was technology. So they wanted to invest in more technology. And they, you know, formed networks of guys, frankly, mostly guys. And it built up. Well, finally, you know, there were numbers of women starting companies and then they had their exits. And and you know, some VCs are professional VCs and have always been, but many of them uh, are people who've come to venture because they've had successful exits and have capital to deploy. And unlike the average investor who will be happily going to a public market or whatever, we recognize and understand and frankly know how to value and support other entrepreneurs because we've been there, done that. Uh, in a way that the average investor wouldn't know how to do. So, you know, we do have an advantage in doing that early stage investing. But, you know, 
as as with all investments, it's pattern matching, and so it grew out of networks of men. And slowly, women are infiltrating, and slowly there are more more and more initiatives. And I, you know, I tip my hat to All Raise, which is a great group of really leading women venture capitalists in Silicon Valley who've begun this initiative to support women to be, you know, to enter into the venture industry, advance them, coach them, mentor them, etc. That's phenomenal. We're doing what we are doing, however, because we look at that model and think. That's going to take a long time to have a material impact. I mean, right now, only about 7% of uh, VCs are women. And we absolutely recognize we will not and cannot change without having more and more women in the, uh, whether it's large funds, medium funds, or small new funds. Um, but um, that will take a long time. That's, that's going to be a generational change, I think, as it is, has been in so many other industries. What we're trying to do is catalyze it with the people who are in place now. Some of them, many of them, women general partners of younger, newer venture firms, and, and in a handful of, of men who are recognized that, hey, this is not just an opportunity to invest in undervalued assets slash women and their innovation. This is an opportunity to, invest, you know, to get greater returns. And there's a lot of data out there now that demonstrates that funds that are managed by women and gender diverse teams um, perform better than male-only founded teams, which today get 86% of all capital. What do you say to people who say, like, what's really the need for this to really focus on female-run firms? The, the need is, uh, I, I could perhaps best demonstrate with an example of just one story and, and promise you that I could be sitting here if we had the time and tell you a hundred more stories like this. So imagine if you had devised a, a methodology to build human organs out of a patient's own stem cells. Now, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the organ transplant issues in our, you know, in our medical system today and around the world, and that is that when you have a need for an organ transplant, uh, only a small subset of people even get on the list to get an organ because so many are disqualified by virtue of their body makeup and or prior, you know, pre-existing conditions, et cetera. And even those who get on the list, you know, very few of them actually get organs in time to survive. So millions of people are dying all over the world for something that we could be addressing. So imagine if you developed a technique to do this out of your stem cells, you'd, develop, you'd gotten um, uh, um, regulatory approval because you've done the clinical trials. You have a network, you've developed a network of medical tech, uh, specialists and surgeons to deploy it. You've built a company around it called Transplants Without Donors. You yourself have five degrees, including a medical degree and several other degrees that you know have allowed you to do this, and you still cannot get funding. Uh, it's insane, but this actually happened to a young woman named Eleni Antoniadu. She was 27 when she pitched us at the Cartier Women's Initiative Awards, which is the largest women's business plan competition in the world. Um, And, uh, you know, we just thought it was stunning that all of this that she had managed to accomplish and still not getting funded. This is the problem we have. We have life-saving innovations we're leaving on the table. We're not even, you know, and P.S., they can also deliver returns for investors. So whether you think it's the right thing to do or not, you know, you can look at it as an opportunity for an undervalued asset, and we think it's probably the most undervalued asset we have. But beyond that, uh, recognize that there's a huge array of innovations across every sector you can imagine. So today, the Billion Dollar Fund for Women, we are a global consortium of venture funds, and we literally have funds in virtually every ca- any category you would want, AI robotics, blockchain, cannabis, clean tech, fintech, medtech, um, Name a sector that is, you know, e-commerce, of course, uh, any sector, SaaS platforms, on and on and on. 
and we've got funds that are investing into those kinds of businesses. And they're not only investing in women, but now they are pledged to do more into women-founded companies because they, most of them have done some of it and say, man, we're getting such great returns on this. We, we need to do more of this and you know, improve our overall portfolio performance. So that's do, what we're seeing. Do you think it's gotten easier for women in finance? I think... Broadly speaking, it has gotten, not to say easy or easier, but you know, as there are more of us and we recognize and we try to uh, support each other and provide opportunities to each other, I think we, you know, in that sense, it, there is. And I think, you know, I, I don't want to exclude the fact that we have male champions. We have lot, many male champions out there who recognize, either because they have daughters and they want the world to change for their daughters, and many of these men you discover once you ask the third question after you say, hi, how are you? What do you do? They say, do you have daughters? And and you find out that nine out of 10 of them do, it's the rare one that might not. But we do have male champions out there, and we embrace them and we appreciate them. And they are creating opportunities for women, too. What's the best personal finance advice you ever received? You know, I mean, I believe in balanced portfolios, obviously. I know portfolio strategy and all that. So overall, not to, you know. But if you're, if you're in a position, if you're an um, accredited investor, obviously if you're an institutional investor, and are investing in alternatives, which are obviously generally deemed to be more risky as part of your portfolio, um, I really believe in investing what you believe in. And so some of my most exciting investments recently on my own, in addition to one of the funds that's on our platform, Different Funds, which is a new venture fund marketplace that's bringing in um, uh, VCs who are women and people of color into the who are not getting funded elsewhere uh, into the into the marketplace, which I really believe in. Um, beyond that, a couple, one of my other favorite recent investments is co-working plus childcare, licensed childcare. Um, we know that co-working is a huge growing area with the gig economy growing and with the next generation of workers. It's estimated somewhere between 60 and 70% of the next generation of workers will not be working for large corporations. And even when they are, they'll be in distributed spaces, not necessarily in a big corporate building. Um, beyond that, that, you know, everybody's going to go through that childbearing period of their lives and that almost infinite demand for childcare in our society and in, in the U.S. and many other countries, I think, makes this a huge opportunity. So I'm excited about that one. It's called uh, Two Birds. You said women should ask that age-old question, what would they do if they weren't afraid? How come? Well, I, I, again, I think that we are raised to be very risk-aware, and I think this is a kind of a question that helps us overcome that risk. And, you know, when we went to the World Bank and said, we'd like to come to your annual meetings, stand in front of a big audience of institutional investors with this concept called the Billion Dollar Fund for Women so we can promote these funds that are doing the good work all over the world, investing into women-founded companies, and see if we can attract more investments into those funds. Um, we, and we said we would come with the first $100 million raised, we hoped. And I literally did not know whether I could do that or not because it was August and we were going to be announcing it October 11th. So we were going to have about two and a half months to mobilize $100 million to make that happen. And in my life, I had not done that in two and a half months. <laughs> so, But um, I said, what have I got to lose? And I have everything to gain because I was, I'm so passionate about seeing these funds who themselves are entrepreneurs and most of them run by women. Um, get funded in order so that they can in turn then fund women founders who are bringing the innovation to the table. And I thought the worst that can happen, I'm going to call in sick the day before, you know, whatever. No, seriously. Um, and by the time we got to the World Bank meetings, we had over $460 million pledged 
in that two and a half months. Trust me, no one was more surprised than I am. So my, my, my advice is jump in there. Do, do what you're passionate about. Do what you love. Do what you think can make a difference. Sometimes you'll fail, but a lot of times you'll win. And if you don't do it, you'll never win. Time now for your secrets. I'm Shelley Porges. I'm the founder of the Billion Dollar Fund for Women, and I'm a venture capitalist. My money secret is invest in women and you'll be in good company. Be sure to check out our ebook based on the Secrets podcast. WSJ subscribers can download their copy of Resilience, how 20 ambitious women use obstacles to fuel their success for free on WSJ.com today. This episode was produced by Tanya Bustos. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening.